Thank you, Hunter, worship team. Appreciate it. Wow, that's nice. I, you know what it is, too? Worship is such an unusual thing that, that nobody but Christians really get what it means that we are here, that, that God is at one point our Lord, our, our Savior, our, the creator of everything in the universe, and we are and he's so totally unlike us, and, and we able, are able to touch him a little bit in this worship, yet at the same time, through Jesus, he's our friend and our Savior. And so it's like God is both transcendent, running the whole universe, and he's right here in this room with us. And I, I, to be honest, I don't get that. I'm just glad I get to enjoy that. And that's part of being a Christian. That is a great thing. So, well, anytime the pastor has to get up and do a disclaimer in a message, you know it's, it might be trouble, all right? So, so I want you to know that, that, um, that what we're about to look, in, look at in Acts, we're finally back in Acts for a little bit, and we're at Acts chapter 15 now. And what we're about to look at is going to sound like that I am spanking the church or that we've had a lot of problems. We have not. And so, guess if you're here with us today, listen, we're just going through Acts and so this happens to be where we are, all right? So it's about a time when there were some, some struggles going on in the church. So I am not preaching this because our church is having a lot of fights and struggles like that, but it just fits where we're going with the service. So when I think about it, I, I, I'm, I'm careful with it because the political climate of our, of our country right now, fighting all the time. In fact, um, when I think about it, now maybe before the time of some of you, how many of you guys know who this guy is right here? In a moment. There he goes. Anybody recognize him? That's Rodney King, okay? Remember his, his you know, the, the famous thing that started riots? What is it? Like 1991, something like that. So 30-something years ago. And um, Rodney's famous line gets misquoted all the time. But it, here, and it's the title of the sermon today, his final, can we all just get along? All right? We always quote it as, can't we all just get along? But he said, can we all just get along? That was his... And so this is what the early church was looking at. They had a struggle they were going through, and it wasn't a bad struggle. It was a good struggle. It wasn't a big fight, but it was something they needed to resolve. So we're going to pick up with that. But before we do, all right, I want to let you know this is going to be a little bit different sermon for me too. I preach different kinds of sermons at different times. And this is more along the style of what, what Horner, Hunter normally does is I'm going to be sort of doing verse by verse. So normally, you know, I try to do like two, three or four nice points that you can come away with. We're going to just kind of look at a verse-through-verse thing through the, the majority of Acts chapter 15. So um, if you've, uh, I've printed some of them if you have the handout. If you don't have it, we can probably get one for you here in a little bit. Twyla has some if you need some. So if you need the handout, Twyla will hand it out for you real quick. Uh, if it helps, I've got some of the verses printed there. But uh, we've got pew Bibles here, and, and I've used the same translation as the pew Bibles. So if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, pew Bibles, that's what shows you my age right there, okay? Our ch- chair Bible just sounds weird, all right? So our, 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 our worship auditorium Bibles, whatever we call them there, all right? We, I don't know. What would you call them, Mona? Chair Bibles, good night. All right, John, th- thank you, Mona, for answering. John. That's, all right, I say, what do you, would you call them, Jonah and uh, Mona? And John answers, all right, so... If you're watching online today, just be thankful that you're on your couch and you're not dealing with the front rows here, okay? So, all right, glad to have you guys here today. So, let's have a word of prayer because we need one right now. Father, I am thankful for this church. Father, I'm thankful for this time that we have together. Father, thank you that we are able to come here and worship you as we do. Father, you you don't need our praise. 
You don't need our fellowship, but you choose to have it with us. Thank you, Father, that you have called us by the name of Fresno Church to be here to worship you today and to learn from your word and to learn from each other. And so, Father, as we look into Acts chapter 15, at a very crucial time in the early church, help us to learn what you taught them then and help us, more important, to learn what it means for us today. So may your spirit speak to us as we look into your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, over the past several months, we've been looking at the book of Acts. Let's just recap a little bit here very quickly. We saw that, that, uh, that the Acts chapter 1 sort of gives us the outline of Acts. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But before that, the Holy Spirit would come. We saw that in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes. They've, uh, they have this great uh, miracle of hearing that people are able to hear the gospel in their own language. And the gospel goes out to the known world at that point. There are Christians everywhere now in the Roman Empire waiting for the church to actually get to where they are. So sort of like advanced missionaries. Then we saw how they faced some persecution in Acts chapter 4 and 5. In Acts chapter 6, they realized that they were struggling. They were reaching these Hellenistic Christians who had been raised in a Greek culture. And the church was mainly um, Jewish Christians, um, or Hebrew Christians we might call them, that mainly lived in, in, the, in the area around Jerusalem. And so they were trying to deal with that, and they created what we now refer to generally as the first deacons, but people from the Hellenistic culture who were helping. And then the gospel went out to the Samaritans, the half-Jews. Then the gospel went out to uh, an Ethiopian eunuch that, that was at the far reaches of the, of the empire, out in the wilderness, actually beyond the Roman Empire. And then the gospel goes to a, 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 a non-Jewish family named Cornelius, his family there, a Roman soldier. So we've seen the gospel spread. And then the Jerusalem church finally plants this new church in Antioch, which was up north a little bit. It was the capital of Syria at that point. And so that becomes, so we have the mother church, Jerusalem, you have the missionary church in Antioch, and they have just sent Paul and Barnabas out on the first missionary journey ever. Now, we keep, we continue that tradition. We support uh, about a dozen missionaries that are around the world doing the gospel. So we still support that same missionary work that they did, but that was the start of it right there, of a church sending out people to go spread the gospel. Now, we skipped over Acts 14. It tells about that first missionary journey, and there are a lot of good things in it. But um, not knowing as your interim how long I'll be with you, I don't, I'm not going to every single thing in Acts. We're, so we're, we're kind of bouncing around a little bit to things that might be more helpful to us as a church right now. Not, not The other stuff's not helpful, just the, the important parts here. So let's get into, um, into uh, Acts chapter 15. Here's the situation. The first missionary journey is finished. Gentiles all around Asia Minor, which is what we now know as Turkey, had become Christians. So let's see, do we have them? Did you, did you toss the map up there for me? I, I can't see it, so see if we can see. So there it starts, there's a little dot right there if you're looking on either side, and then go to the next slide real quick, and you can see how it spread all the way up. And so that's sort of the area that there's Christian churches now, all in that area, and a lot of them were non-Jewish. And that was a big deal for these things because they were now deciding all right, what do we do about this? Because at this point, and I've said it to you before, everybody still sort of felt like Christianity was just a, a new version of Judaism. But now they can't really rest on that anymore because you've got all these Gentile believers who become Christians. And they're trying to figure out, do they need to become Jewish? And so that's what's happened. So let's pick up in verse 1 right here. So some men came down from Judea 
and began to teach the brothers, saying, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. We're going to stop right there. So a couple of things in this verse real quick as we look at it. First, it says they came down from Jerusalem. That confuses a lot of people because in our map, Jerusalem's here and Antioch's up here because we usually think of north as up. But the way the Jews thought of it, Jerusalem was up and everything from Jerusalem was down. So anytime you, went, you left Jerusalem, you went down. So they went down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And, it, and elevation-wise, it was. Jerusalem is in a hilly area and Antioch was down by the coast about 8 or 10 miles from the ocean. So they go down there and they start teaching the people in Antioch saying, okay, unless you're circumcised according to the, to, to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, I want to talk about these guys first. As we look at them nowadays, we think like these were the bad guys. These were like the traditional stick in the muds that, that, that just said, you got to fit into the right thing. They would be the people that say like, Pastor, you're not wearing a coat and tie today. What's wrong with you? you unless, unless you wear a coat and tie, you can't be a preacher. And to be really honest, I was raised in a church like that, and it freaked me out a little bit to be up here without a tie for a couple of times with you guys, all right? I've gotten used to it now. So if the next church I go to wants me to wear a tie again, I'm going to have to like, okay, I'm going to have to get used to that, all right? But, but it'd be sort of like that, except that they weren't really the bad guys. These guys were probably well-meaning Christians raised in the Jewish tradition, and they thought, you know what? The law of Moses has been good for people. It's worked for us for like 1,200 years. It'll work for these new Christians too. So we don't want you, we don't want you messing this up. So you really need to keep following the law because that's going to keep you on the straight and narrow. And there might have been some truth to that. You know, that, that when, we, when we do things certain ways, I mean, we learned for a while there was a time when kids were wearing uniforms to schools. My kids went to Central Unified, and they wore uniforms, and it kind of worked for them a little bit. It, they had less problems and stuff. It was so much easier for us in the morning, too. It's like, what are you going to wear to school today? You know, well, it's already determined what you're going to wear. That's the old joke. What, do you never hear to Catholic school? What, are you going to wear to school tomorrow? Um, anyway, if you guys don't get that, ask a neighbor later, Okay. So, um, so it was that kind of thing that were saying, like, you know, maybe it'll help you out just to be able to, to conform here a little bit. But you can understand why the, Jew, the, the non-Jewish men especially were a little bit troubled by this because they were saying, okay, so they'd be looking at you uh, going, all right, I'll pick on John here. Hey, John, you're okay. We're okay with you being a part of the church, but you need a little bit of surgery on a delicate part of your body for you really to be a part of this church. And some of them were like, whoa, I don't think I, I want that. Now, kids, if you're in here, we're talking about something circumcision, let me just ask your parents or grandparents later, okay? They'll explain it to you, all right? So um, it'll, it'll, just trust me, you need to do that, all right? So they weren't necessarily bad people. They were worried about that slippery slope. Now, I, one of the best illustrations I found of this, I'm hoping it's going to work for us on here. Let's see, but I'll admit, I was a fan of the, of the TV show Big Bang Theory. Now, I know it had terrible morals in it, okay? Everybody on that show was, was really a horrible, horrible person. They really were. But I still, I, I had to admit, I found it funny. So if you, though, how many of you used to watch Big Bang Theory? Anybody here? Oh, less than half of you. So some of you aren't going to get this. But there was a lady named Mary Cooper. She was a, a devout Christian. And she really made fun of Christians. But a lot of what she, how she made fun of Christians is true. So she said this one time. Let's see if the video clip plays. Start changing the words to the prayers. Next thing you know, you're in a church with a guitar. <laughs> And let's see if we can get it. Okay. I can remember a day that we would not have had a guitar up here, okay? That 
that Anton, did he, did you hear Anton? We'd have probably, you know, thrown you out of the church or burned you as a witch or something, I don't know, for having a guitar in church because it was a piano and organ, that kind of thing. And so there were some people afraid if you start messing with certain things, who knows what you're going to get to. And so that's what these guys were saying. They weren't saying, we don't appreciate that you're, that you're non-Jewish, but we want you to get it done right. But fortunately, the church disagreed with that. So let's look at what the church said. So we're going to pick up in verse 2 right now. It says, after Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in a serious argument, and it, serious argument, and a debate, so it means they were civil and also it, they may have gotten heated at times, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go to, up to the apostles, up to Jerusalem, to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. When they had been, when they had been sent there on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. Now, real quick pause on this verse right here as we keep it there. That shows you the missionary attitude of the people at Antioch. Even when they were going to a business meeting, we haven't had a lot of those in our church, all right? But business meetings, boy, especially in a church out of our tradition, that's like, you know, not the most worshipful time, you know, business meetings. But even on their way to a business meeting in Jerusalem, they were sharing the good news about Jesus everywhere they went. Throughout that whole area, that was just the attitude, that was the culture of this church, is we want everybody to know about Jesus. So let's pick up back in verse 4 now. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. And the apostles and elders gathered to consider this matter. Now, this is why it became a big debate. Now, a couple of notes here real quick on this one. First, there were a lot of Pharisees who'd become Christians. I, I don't know about you. When, if you, like me, raised in vacation Bible school, I was taught that the Pharisees were the evil people, that they were the ones, like, they were always against Jesus. We used to sing a song about, I don't want to be a Pharisee because Pharisees aren't fair, you see. All right? It was a dumb song. If you didn't sing it growing up, Rachel, consider yourself blessed, all right? And the Sadducees were sad, you see. So it was, it was deep theology that I was raised with there, okay? But a lot of the Pharisees really were trying to follow God's will, and they followed Jesus. They believed he was the Messiah, but they were saying still, you need to keep the traditions. That's still important. We know, yeah, Jesus saves us and everything, but, but to really get it right, you need, to have, you need to follow the, the rules, too. And it's part, and I'm going to be real careful here because we're on video, that that's one of the issues sometimes that people out of evangelical traditions like us have with, with sometimes with the Catholic tradition. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not speaking evilly of the Catholic Church here at this point. That's not my, my thing. But one of the things that, Catholic, that, that it's easy to begin to believe in the Catholic Church is Jesus saves you, but also these other things like communion and baptism, everything, that those things save you as well. And that, we don't believe that. We believe Jesus did everything on the cross. And that's what these guys were dealing with, going like, yeah, it's Jesus, but, but, but you need to do these other things. And they messed up by saying, but unless you do these things, you aren't saved. And that brought a big debate with the church. I mean, you could, could you imagine if we had people in our church that said, yeah, you know what? You, Jesus saves you, but if you aren't baptized, you still don't get to go to heaven. That'd be a trouble. That, that'd be, that would be a big debate in our church. Okay, because we believe Jesus paid it all. 
Jesus took care of all of it. Baptism is something we do to show our response to Jesus. It's an important thing that we do, and we want everybody to be baptized. In fact, that is a requirement for actually being a full member of our church, is to go through baptism as a believer. Um, by the way, we'll be having a membership class. Are we talking about that at the end, Hunter? Um, hopefully. We're, we're, we're going to have a membership class, not this Sunday, but in two weeks. So kind of put that on your calendar. After church, we'll provide lunch. So if you want to, we'll have a sign-up for that uh, coming up uh, next week so that you can be ready for that. But we'll talk about that in our membership class. But I digress, and I want us to get out of here before noon, all right? So let's keep going. Am I going too fast? Okay, good, because I think I need to kick it into a gear to get through here, okay? I have eight pages of notes here, and I'm just finishing up page two. So I gotta, you guys have to listen faster. All right, Elena, just listen faster, okay? Because I'm, all right, so here we go. All right, so let's continue on in verse 7. So after there had been much debate, so there was argument and debate in Antioch. Now this is a debate in Jerusalem. Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you're aware that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He made no distinction between them, between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke, a yoke on the disciples, these new disciples next, that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. Now, Peter, the brash spokesman of the early church, jumps up there and jumps to their defense and says, basically, all right, wait, 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 wait. Okay, Peter, I think Peter was a little self-centered sometimes because I recognize it myself too. He says, hey, remember what I did here, okay? So maybe he says, but remember, I went up to Cornelius' family. I went to that house of the Gentiles there, and they became believers, and the Holy Spirit even put his stamp of approval on it. And we've talked about this already, but I want to remind you, in the book of Acts, there are several specific times that the Holy Spirit shows up. Every time he does, it's when the church is crossing to a new boundary of believers, okay? It's the way of the Holy Spirit saying, it's not just here. I'm putting my stamp of approval on it. And after that, it doesn't talk a lot about that. It doesn't talk anything about that other than a few specific times when God's doing something new. It was his way of saying to the early church, I'm in agreement with this. This is the right thing to do. That is what's happening there. So, they are, um, uh, let me get back where we are. Okay, so uh, find, find my place in my notes. So, um, so Peter says, hey, we've already seen these guys were saved. The Holy Spirit gave, came on them and showed them before they were baptized, before they were circumcised, before anything like that, while they were still Gentiles, they believed in Jesus and they were saved. And so that became the crux of this argument. Was Christianity a better version of Judaism or was it something new? Remember, at this time, most of the believers, most of the Christians were still Jewish at this point. But after that first missionary journey, there were a lot of non-Jewish people that were now becoming Christians. And so they had to figure out what they were going to do here with it. Now, this is going to be weird for some of you. I know that some of you are, are, are big into uh, Lord of the Rings and fantasy and sci-fi and things like that, like I am. So, so for those of you who are not, this, one, this illustration may not make sense, but Imagine for a moment if aliens landed on earth. Don't, don't go to the slide yet, okay? A moment if aliens landed on earth and they heard about Jesus. Would it be, would we as Christians need to tell them about Jesus? Would they need to be saved the same way we are? 
Well, the real answer is right now, we don't know right now at all. We couldn't tell. There, there are certain things, actually there's been writings of theologians on this. There'd be certain things that have to have a sense of right and wrong, of moral law, of self, of, of their own, you know, own, own sinfulness kind of thing. So, so some of that would go on. But, but just let me think for a moment. Is it possible that God had a different plan of salvation for people living in another, another solar system? It could be. We don't know. The Bible doesn't give us clear words on that, and so we would have to figure it out. And that's, that may seem weird, like aliens, but to the Jewish people, Gentiles were just as weird as we might think from some alien there, okay? But I want you to consider the possibility how they think. I love this. It's from Saturday Morning Breakfast Series. It's one of my favorite cartoons here. All right, so let's see if we can get that slide up there. So this guy tells the alien about Jesus, and he goes, yeah, we know about him. He comes back every two weeks or so. We gave him a big, big, big box of chocolates when he arrived. What did you guys do? How would we answer that to an alien? Yeah, Jesus stops by every two weeks or so, and we, we just have a good time with him, and we just believe everything he says, and, and we just celebrate him here. What did you guys do when he came? Um, we don't want to talk about it, all right? Because what did we do? We killed him. So, I mean, but that was God's plan for us. Maybe he did have a different plan. Now, again, I am not saying God has another plan for aliens. I'm not even saying there are aliens out there anywhere. I don't know, and I don't really care right now, but I'm saying that gives you an idea of the kind of thing that was going on in the minds of these people as they were trying to figure out. In short, they were trying to answer two big questions. The first one was, can you become a Christian without becoming Jewish first? That was the question we had. And if that was, if you couldn't, then everybody had to start following the Jewish laws. Anybody here like cheeseburgers? Yep, no cheeseburgers. Okay. And if it's a bacon cheeseburger, you're really in trouble then because you're breaking so many kosher food laws at that point. All right? So they were saying, did you have to be Jewish? And then they were saying, if you don't have to be Jewish, then here's the second question they were asking, and that is, what adjustments do we need to make so that we can get along together? And that's the real question they were trying to figure out here. And that's what the rest of this passage is about. What adjustments they said we we need everybody to do so that we can get along and worship together Hebrew Christians and Hellenistic Christians that were there. So people that, and, and, and Gentiles who had never been Jewish at all, how do we get along? So we're going to pick up in verse 12 now. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. That's always a good place to go. Look at what God's doing. All right. After they stopped speaking, James responded. And James, we know... Fr- in fact, from this passage, James, the half-brother of Jesus, probably became the leader of the church at this point because he was the one that sort of took charge here. And he says, so James um, responded, brothers, listen to me. Simeon, just another name for Simon, it was his, his other name uh, for, for, for Peter, said, Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. So when God said, God's calling Gentiles to be his people too. And the words of the prophet agree with this as it is written. And he quotes from Amos chapter 9. He says, After these things I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent, fallen tabernacle, his, his place of worship. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so that the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord who made these things, so, made these things known from, a long, from long ago. That is a, a great verse there. That's a, another good principle. When you're trying to figure out what God wanted to do, you look to the Bible for principles. And that's something our church should always do is look back to the Bible for the principles there. 
And he, so the key verse out of this, out of, Am, out of Amos 9, is found in verse 17. He says, so that the rest of mankind, not just the Jewish people, but the rest of the mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name. Now, if you're not familiar with Bible terminology, that Gentile thing may throw you a little bit. It gets used, or if you've got Mormon friends, Mormons consider everybody who's not Mormon a Gentile. Gentile was just actually part of the, 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 a, a the, the Hebrew version of the Greek word nations. It just meant everybody out there. So it, so it just really meant everybody who wasn't Jewish. But for the Jewish people, it was sort of an ugly word, okay? So like think Gentiles, reptiles, bathroom tiles, something like that. It was just like stuff they didn't appreciate very much, okay? So it was like a cuss word for them, all right? That, so Gentiles wasn't used always nicely. But in this case, it's saying so that the Gentiles, the nations who are called by my name, that they can come to worship God also. And so James continues on and says, Therefore, in my judgment, because we believe he was the leader at this point, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. In other words, let's not make it hard on them, people. He says, But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. Since from ancient times, Moses has, been, has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath, he has read aloud in the synagogues. Now, we talked about that back at Christmas time, that back hundreds of years before, God had spread his people all out when Jerusalem was destroyed, and they planted synagogues all over what was then the Babylonian and, and, um, and uh, Persian empires. So there were synagogues where people worshiped. So he's saying, for hundreds of years now, people have been taught Moses, so they get this stuff, they know it. But we're just going to ask him to do four things. And this is where we get into the sticky stuff right here, all right? So this is the meat of the message here. They came up with four rules that they said, we want the Gentile Christians to follow this so that they can, so that we can get along with the Gentile people. So here they are again. They said, don't eat things polluted by idols. Don't have acts of immorality. Don't eat anything strangled. And don't eat the blood of animals or drink the blood of animals. So here's the question we want to ask. Why these four things? Why were these things so important? Okay? Well, we're going to find out here. First, let me tell you what these four things are not about. Because I've had, heard people interpret these all over the place, and sometimes they get it wrong. These four things are not about what you do to be saved. They're not saying you've got to do any of these things to be saved. Because if they're talking about that, we know what saves people believing in jesus and accepting his sacrifice that's what saves people they knew it as well they had already established that in fact they had talked about it many times in fact in the book of acts we can see several times they mentioned it acts 238 peter says each of you must repent of your sins and turn to god and be baptized in the name of jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and acts 412 he says there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved and so there's, they already knew it's believing in Jesus. That's what saves you. So doing these other things aren't, aren't about being saved. And if they were, they would have mentioned believing in Jesus as well. This is also not about the moral law. These are not rules that have to deal with moral law. Because, they, because otherwise they would include things like you can't steal, you can't kill, that kind of stuff. So you think if, that was, if this was about moral law, they would have said, by the way, you can't keep murdering people. You don't need to steal from people. 
You don't need to be doing things like that. No, it wasn't about the moral law. They knew that these things were given. Most of the people coming from the pagan lifestyle knew that stealing and killing was wrong. So they said, so we're not even talking about the moral law here. So what were these things? They're not about salvation. They're not about moral law. They were simply this. They were things that we want you to to adjust to so that we can get along Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. All right? So we're going to look at these real four briefly because we've been here for, you've been very patient listening to this for a while, but I want you to kind of see how these work out. So let's talk about the first one here. Things polluted by idols. Now this was not about worshiping idols. It was about eating food that had been offered to idols. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but I'll give you the review again. Back that way, okay, how did they worship idols back then? Well, they'd make, they'd make uh, financial offerings, but sometimes they also did sacrifices, okay? Almost every culture has had some kind of sense of sacrifice there. So, but when you sacrifice, okay, so you got a nice ribeye steak like I had on, on 4th of July that still shows maybe some, but, um, but this nice ribeye steak, and you offered it to the idol, so we'd set it before the idol. Does the idol eat that? No, the Bible talks about they have mouths, but they do not speak. They have ears, but they do not hear. You know, that kind of stuff. They can't do anything. So they would burn, they would uh, cook this meat in front of the idol. And the idea they had was the idol was like sniffing it up. And I'm like, I hadn't seen that nose on that idol move a bit. I don't think it's working, but that was sort of their idea. And so once you got this nice medium rare ribeye there that you've let the idol smell the smoke, then it was sort of like, okay, are you done now? Okay, can I have the rest? All right, great. And so you had this nice steak. It was really... All right, so basically, temples, a lot, and a lot of these temples were like the outback steakhouse of the day, all right? And so people could go there, and they could go get a steak that had been offered to the idol. It was considered worshiping. It was one of the ways you could worship. They had a lot of different, really weird ways to worship back then. Well, a lot of the Christians, the Gentiles would become Christian. They were sitting there going like, oh, we know that idol's not real. That's nothing, but that is the best place to get steak, I can go in there and eat that steak, and it won't, I'm not worshiping the idol, because I know that idol's dead. It's not alive. But it freaked out some of the other people. In fact, Paul even talks about that in 1 Corinthians 8. He says, he has this statement, he says, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I won't cause my brother to stumble. It's not about being a vegetarian. He's about saying, I won't eat any meat that might have possibly been sacrificed to an idol, because I don't want to cause anybody confusion thinking I'm, 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 I'm <clears throat> um, worshiping that idol. <clears throat> Sorry. Now, let me give an example out of my own life how this plays out. You can tell I, I like being funny up here once in a while, okay? So, um, so, like, Mona, when you laughed at a joke, that's like the next best thing to say an amen, okay? Saying amen or laughing is like saying sick him to a dog for a preacher, all right? So I can keep, keep see, you laugh. That just added two minutes under the sermon just there by that laugh right there, okay? So I do kind of like that. And so when I was in seminary in San Francisco, I used to, a couple of times, went down to the Holy City Zoo in San Francisco, which is the comedy club where Robin Williams got his start. And I would love going to the comedy clubs. The trouble is, how do the comedy clubs make their money? They're bars. All right, now guys, I want to tell you, I'm a total teetotaler. This sermon's not about alcohol, but I'm a teetotaler. I don't touch it. Okay? Um, <clears throat> I've, I've said this before, it's going to offend some of you, but I'll tell you, my short sermon on alcohol is, drinking is not a sin, but being stupid is, you go do the math, all right? That's my, that's, that's my quick sermon. 
<clears throat> now, if you drink, I'm not going to go any further than that right now. But I got thinking, I work with teenagers all over the city. And I thought, what happens if a teenager or their family sees me coming out of the Holy City Zoo and all they realize is it's a bar and they see me coming out of the bar, I don't want to give that wrong impression. So I quit going to the comedy clubs for that reason. Okay? Now, was it, was it a sin for me to go to the comedy clubs? Probably not. But was it unwise for me to do that given my, the situation I had? Yeah, it was. So I, so I limited my freedom for the benefit of others. And so that's what they're saying here to these people. Look, you might be able to go and know that that meat that, you've <clears throat> that, has, been, that has been offered to the idols or whatever, that that's, that that's, that's nothing. You're not worshiping when you're doing that. You're just getting a bargain. It's like if you go to the casinos, I don't gamble either, okay? All right? I don't even do the lottery because I think the lottery is the government's tax on stupidity. But if you play the lottery, that's when you and Jesus, all right? That's not on that either. I'm just giving you my, my, where I am with some things. But, but I worked in Nevada, and people would go to the casinos. And in Nevada, they sort of understood that. But I would be careful as a minister going in, you know, and you can go and get, you know, breakfast for $1.97 you know, in, the, in the casinos because they realize if you walked in with $10, we can charge you whatever you want for breakfast, but you're likely to spend the rest of it on the slot machines on the way out. Well, not me. I could go in and, you know, I, I could survive living in Las Vegas on probably $10 a week, you know, just by what they do. But I'm, I'm not going to, okay? But I'm saying, I, but I choose to limit my freedom sometimes, even though it might cost me more, for the benefit of others. And so what they were saying here to these guys is, just don't go into the idols' temples, don't worship, don't eat things offered by idols, so that it looks like you're worshiping the idol, because it's just going to freak out the Jewish Christians. Does that make sense? So that's what they're saying there. So then the, let's go to the second law, okay? Sexual immorality. Now, I'm going to back, backpedal a little bit. This is about the moral law, but there's a reason for that. Because the, the, the Gentile Christians in the Roman world grew up with a different understanding of sexuality in the moral law than the Jewish people did. Both sets of moral laws believed that, that stealing was wrong. Both sets of moral laws believed that killing was wrong. But the Jewish set of moral laws said, hey, sexual purity, that is where it's about. Now, granted, a lot of Jewish people, especially a lot of the kings of Israel and some other people, didn't follow that, but... But that was still part of that moral law. But in the pagan world, sexual morality, sexual purity wasn't that big a deal for some places. In fact, we talked about you could worship by eating meat at the idol. Well, the temple of Aphrodite in Corinth was supposed to have at one point a thousand temple prostitutes. So you could go worship Aphrodite by going to the temple and spending some less than quality time with one of the priestesses there, all right? But that was considered a way of, of, of worship back then. And again, if you've got younger kids here, I'm sorry, that, but I'm just telling honestly where we're, where we're coming with that. And so, so they said, you know what? We're expecting you to follow that to make that adjustment in your moral law to fit here. We think that's a big mistake for you as a follower of Jesus to be morally, to be uh, sexually impure. So we're going to ask you to follow that and be sexually pure. And I think that's important for us to follow today, okay? Because there are a lot of Christians that believe now that that's not a big deal. And our society says you can be a really good person um, but still cheat on your wife or your husband, have sex before you get married, engage in pornography and sexual play, and just have complete freedom with it. I mentioned earlier that I enjoyed watching The Big Bang Theory, but I have to admit the sexual mores, the sexual values they had there, troubled me every time. 
and I and and I had to be really careful that I wasn't that there was no part of me that said you know that's okay that that's all right and that's just that it's just what we see today there's so many Christians out there that believe you can live together you can have sex before marriage and guys I still believe that's a mistake and I believe sexual sin like any sin breaks your your fellowship with God but I do believe for Christians that sexual sin while it didn't put Jesus on the cross any more than any other sin did, it's just as, you know, it's, it's not worse than any other sin from, from, our, you know, from our standpoint of it being wrong. But I do believe that sexual sin will take you further away from God faster than other sins will. It really does. It's a tougher road back from that. And so I just want to encourage you with that, that the rules they had there at this point were basically saying, this is still a good principle for today. So, Going back to things polluted by idols, I struggle with things like Christians that do crystals and things like that, because to me that 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 is some kind of weird word. And I'm probably gonna make some of you mad here. Okay, I'm not here to step on anybody's toes, but I'll tell you for me, horoscope. I don't ever read the horoscope because that's just that has nothing to do with Jesus. That's a whole different kind of of thing going in on there. All right. Um, so so I'm gonna say be careful with that. But we're not gonna get into that real quick. I'm just letting you know why they were saying these things. The last two we're going to put together to wrap, to wrap it up pretty quick. What is strangled and what is blood? These go back to the Jewish food rules. And here's what the council was saying to these Gentile Christians. They weren't so much saying, you've got to follow these two food rules right here. They were saying, you don't have to follow all these other food rules here. All right? So you're going to worship with people that are probably still going to not want to eat a cheeseburger because you can't mix dairy and meat in Jewish food laws. You might, you know, you, you can eat a lobster if you want to, but the Jewish Christians may, may get grossed out by that a little bit, but, but we'll, we'll get them, we'll, we're okay with that. Jewish people can't eat lobster, you know, if you're following, you know, strict Jewish, Jewish food laws. But you guys want to do it? Go ahead. We'll be okay with that. But we're going to ask you to, to give in on these two things. We think if you eat something strangled, that just doesn't seem healthy in the first place. But that and eating the blood, that's probably going to really gross out your, your Jewish Christian friends. So we're going to ask you to follow these two rules. So it wasn't about limiting, it was about freedom. They said, if you'll handle these two Jewish food laws, we'll, get, we'll convince the other Jewish Christians in your church not to freak out about all the other Jewish food laws. It was really about freedom. So here's, what the, here's the wrap up then. We're going to look at the last few verses here, and I'm going to get to my last point very quickly. So picking up in verse 22, then the apostles and elders with the whole church decided to select men who were among them and sent them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So they go back to Antioch. They also sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. And they wrote, from the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia. That's the area around there. Greetings. Since we've heard that some of our, some without our authorization went out from us, and troubled you with their words and unsettled your heart. I love that. Some, not representing us, said they represented us, all right? We have unanimously, unanimously decided to select men and send them to you along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul, who've risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus. Therefore, we've sent Judas and Silas, who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. For it was the Holy Spirit's decision, not ours, not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that's been strangled, and from sexual immorality. 
you will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. This was their way of saying, hey, we're about freedom and liberty. Yeah, there's certain things we want you to do to get along together. But we're going to make it limited because Jesus died for you too and you believe in him. Welcome into the family, guys. That's what they're saying to these Gentile Christians. So what does that mean for us today? Well, to, to get to my last point here, this application, I'm going to go to an old saying that some people say goes back to St. Augustine, but I think it's really about the mid-1600s is the furthest back I could find it. And it, you may have heard this before. You've heard this. In the essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity, which was an old word for love. And that's what I think we need to remember as a church. And again, guests, we're not, this is not something we fought over in our church. This is just where we are in the book of Acts, okay? So it's not like we're fighting over a lot of things in our church. We're not really fighting over anything, uh, which worries me a little bit. Anytime a church moves forward, there's going to be some disagreements, but eh, we'll deal with those when we come to. So, so there's not anything going on right now. But think about that. So in the things we consider essential, we should have unity. And the things that are non-essential, we should give people a lot of freedom. But in everything, we need to love one another. That needs to be our controlling influence there. So I'm going to break these down into six categories right now, two of each. So I think there's two essentials, or two kinds of essentials that every church needs to think about, all right? First is the non-negotiables. And some of our non-negotiables that I can think of are things like salvation through Jesus alone. We believe that. You can come in here, and if you want to be a part of a church, but you don't believe in salvation through Jesus, sorry, you're not a part of this fellowship. You're welcome to attend. You're welcome to be a part. But we're not going to consider you a believer unless you accept Jesus. That's our main non-essential right there. That is it. There's a few other things we might consider pretty much non-essential, like love for everybody. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says on these two commandments, everything else is built. So I would say love for each other. Is pretty much a non-negotiable here. We could still say you're a believer, but if you're not going to show love here, eh, maybe you need to go find a, a cult somewhere and mess them up, all right? So something like that. Um, I could also say that, that we would say fruit of the Spirit is probably a non-negotiable. We want people to be growing in the fruit, fruit of the Spirit. You're not going to be not saved if you don't have it, but, but I'd say those are a few of our non-negotiables. There may be a few more, but the non-negotiables are very few. And the main one is salvation through Jesus alone. That's, that's the main non-negotiable for us. But we also have some things we call general agreements. And that's something churches say that this is something we're going to agree on. It may not apply to every, but in our church, this is something we expect from you. We've already mentioned baptism is one of those. Okay? So we, I point over here because that's where we set up our baptistry and we do it here. But, but we believe that baptism is an important step for any believer. The immersion, and we'll talk about that the next time we have a baptism service, but, but we think that's important. It doesn't save you. But we've generally agreed that we expect everybody to be, um, to be saved here. Another general agreement we have is our language in church. You know, we don't want anybody coming in and cussing out somebody else in church. We expect people to speak, speak respectfully. That's something we, we expect at this point. Um, Ephesians 4.29 says, No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. So, there's, so there are very few essentials. The non-negotiables and our general agreements but then let's go look at some non-essentials. Now, this is where it gets sticky. So here's my disclaimer. I'm talking about what I've come to in my life. Yours may not totally agree with these because these are non-essentials, all right? 
So don't hear me saying this is what you've got to follow to be a part of our church. But it is something that helps us understand that everybody has things we agree to disagree on, and we all have opinions on things. So I'll give you a couple examples that I found in my life. Okay, let's take an agree to disagree. All right? Here's an agree to disagree. Tithing. I believe believers ought to tithe. I think that's a good standard. Now, the New Testament standard is sacrificial giving, and we can argue about, well, for some people, 3% might be sacrificial giving. For others, 10% is not sacrificial giving. You ought to give more. But I think tithing, for me, is just a general good standard right there. So that's what I do unless God tells me otherwise. 10% of what I get goes to, um, goes to this church, not to anything else. goes to this church, which if you're on the finance group, I'm behind right now because I've I've forgotten, so I, I'm used to writing checks. We don't do that anymore, so, I, so that reminded me. I got to this afternoon do some, some you know, transfer online, but anyway. Um, but, but, but I do, I, 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 that's, that's something. If you disagree with me on tithing, I'm going to say we'll agree to disagree on that. I think it's important, but I'm not going to break fellowship with you. I'm not going to kick out of the church or anything like that because you don't agree with me on tithing. All right, here's another one that I think is, uh, is, that, is um, uh, let's see, speaking in tongues. That's one that, that, I've known Christians that speak in tongues, and, I, and I've known Christians that think that speaking in tongues is dead, and it's of the devil now, and I'm sort of in the middle with that. I think God still can give that gift to people. I don't think it's that crucial. I don't think it's something, I think it's something God uses only in very specific per, per, uh, places, and it's not for everybody, but we can agree to disagree on that. Let's go on down to opinion. They get a little bit stickier on opinion. By the way, these non-essentials, uh, you know, uh, in these general agreements, that's probably pretty close to what the early church was talking about here. These were just sort of general agreements on things that weren't really super, you know, I mean, that you, that you had to, well, anyway, we'll, we'll, I, I got to keep moving, okay? So let's talk about an opinion, all right? Uh, Reformed theology, if you've never heard of that, there are Christians that believe that every, that everything that is done, God is preordained and God's chosen before the foundation of the world who's going to be saved and who isn't. And they're the people who believe that salvation is open to everybody and jesus died for everybody. i'm tend towards this side right here i want us to share the gospel with everybody but i know some very loving godly christians that still share the gospel but will say but god's already chosen who's going to be saved it doesn't matter whether we do it or not we just do it out of obedience i'm like whoo that just seems weird to me but you know what that's your opinion this is mine you might be right i don't think you are but you might be right. We'll go with that, okay? As long as we're still sharing the gospel because Jesus told us to do that. So that's an example of opinion right there. Then uh, another one is governance. Okay, Hunter and I have gone around about this. Hunter and I may not have be in total agreement about how churches ought to be governed. But I think there's freedom in that. And I think Hunter does too. I'm not trying to say Hunter's, okay? I'm, I'm, not, trying to, I'm not trying to paint you in a corner there, okay? But... Um, but I think there's, there's, there's opinions of there. Some people believe it's only one way. Some people believe it's only the other way. It's just opinion, all right, in, in my matter. And we can learn to get along with it. So then let's go to everything else, all right? So the non-essentials, it's just everything else after that. The, uh, uh, all of that, I, I put those under two different things, preference and the don't even worry about it. We've all got preferences. We have preferences in Bible translation. Our chair Bibles are called the Christian Standard Version. We've got a few people in here, dearly, saints that I dearly love, that use the King James. And every time they read King James, I just concentrate going, okay, now, all right, yeah, these and thous, okay, what is that, all right. And, but it's a beautiful translation, there's, there's, there's validity in it. My favorite translation that I use is called New American Standard. Does it really matter which one you use? Most cases not. It's just a preference. This is my preference that I use. We don't have time to talk about why it's my preference, but, uh, but when, when our previous pastor decided to get chair Bibles, he, his preference was 
Christian Standard Version. They're both good translations of the Bible. So that's just a matter of preference. Music style. And I want to pause at this point. I know we're I'm a little bit longer than I should. Uh, they'll be shorter next week. I'll make it up to you, okay? But um, I want to thank this church for this, that we have not fought worship wars. I've been at churches where it's like people are like, oh, that cotton-picking youth uh, worship minister's not even doing a single hymn this week. And, there's other, and, or, or, and then when he does, the, other, the churches where people went like, hymns again? Why? This is not the 1600s. Why are we doing this? And our church just sings whatever song you come up with, as long as it's theological, we sing it. Okay? Sometimes you've got to get a guy clapping it, but, you know. But, yeah, so thank you, church, that we are not fighting those worship wars, man. We're just fine together. But music style is a preference. That's all it is, is a preference. And some may find one more worshipful than other. That's okay. It's just a preference. Preaching style. I did verse by verse this time. Normally I do, that's, uh, um, normally I do what's called expository preaching. Every once in a while I'll do a topical sermon. Sometimes I do a narrative sermon. But preaching style is just a preference. When we call a new pastor, some of you are not going to like his preaching style. You're just not. Because if everybody likes the same preaching style, then that's, that's just weird. That's just a fluke. That just, that just doesn't happen. All right, that, the Holy Spirit had to be in that for that to happen, I guess, or something. But, but you know what? It's just a preference. We have to get over it. And then there's the, what I call the don't even worry about it. And I think of two funny examples with that one. Just letting you know how churches change. Am I the only person in this church that grew up in a time when I remember people could get kicked out of church for dancing? Does anybody else remember that? I remember that happening. It didn't happen in my church, but I remember hearing of a church. A guy went to a dance and got kicked out of the church. Okay? Got churched for that. All right? Uh, it's, just, it's just crazy that we would even think about that now. Now, I don't dance. I can't dance. There's a court order that says that I can't. All right? It's just I'm not allowed. All right? But, um, but nobody today would do that. That's a freedom we've discovered. I'll tell you one other weird one here, okay? And I know it's going to be weird. Mark, I'm, I'm glad you're sitting right here. Tattoos used to be that way. I was raised, get a tattoo, go to hell, go directly to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200, all right? We were, we, you know, I mean, that was just what we were sort of raised with. And, and there's probably reasons for the, for the dancing injunction years ago. I can understand it. And there was probably reasons for the, for the tattoo weirdness about it at some point. There, there are some Bible verses that talk about it. You've got to interpret in context. But, but I'm saying for most of us today, that's like, okay, we're not even going to fight that battle. All right? In fact, some of you know Jeremy, our beloved deacon who just, who just moved to, to Michigan. He was raised in one of those churches where, where tattoos were just wrong. What's one of the last things Jeremy did before he left? Got this tattoo on his arm, and he said, I had two requirements of it. One, it had to be spiritual, and second, it had to be visible. He said, because it's an act of obedience to God here. That's what what he told us. And what I heard in that is, I was for so long raised not realizing the freedom I had in Christ. And this is now saying that Christ gives me more freedom than I thought. So what do we take away from this? And I've gone along... um, but, but I think this is important, especially when we start looking as we're looking toward a new pastor, is that we are not about restrictions here. Christ has set us free. However, we're not about taking our, li- taking our liberty and using it as Paul writes in, uh, in Ephesians. No, in first, sorry, Peter writes in First Peter, 
using our freedom as an opportunity or an excuse for sin. We don't want to do that. We want to learn to get along together. So we limit our freedom in some ways voluntarily to get along. But we don't use our freedom to, and we don't use that to judge other people and that kind of thing. But we again allow different expressions of how God uses us. And so in every church, we have to determine those non-essentials. We have to determine our general agreements. And that's okay to have people go along with those. But the other things, we just learn to have freedom. Do you know I know a church that, that almost split because the pastor replaced the pews with chairs? And the reason he did it, they had three different kinds of pews. So it was, it was a hodgepodge. It was ugly looking. Pews they had gotten from churches that had died of whatever. And so he got an offer to get 200 chairs, which more than needed, free. Good chairs, a good thing. He replaced them, and somebody won't live it over it because you've replaced the pews. All right? And so churches fight over stupid things. We need to fight for one thing. Jesus Christ died for everybody out there so they could experience the freedom and they could know what it's like to have a relationship with God, freed from their sins and having Jesus as Lord. That's what this is all about. So, again, remember the early church went through this not to limit people, not to make people nuts, but just for them to get along together, as Rodney King said, so that we can all get along and we can move forward the work that God has called our church to do. So what do I want you to do about this? Three things, very simple. First, determine your essentials. And you do this through prayer and discernment. Now, your leaders do a lot of that. Our bylaws do a lot of that, okay? But you've got to determine your essentials also. But it needs to be done through prayer and with discernment. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes into play in our lives, by letting him confirm or deny whatever you're considering your thing. And then do this with a view only toward the essentials, okay? Let's don't make the non-essentials essentials. Second, I want you to review your non-essentials through the lenses of liberty and love, okay? The lenses of liberty and love. This is a struggle for me sometimes, and I get it. I mentioned that I'm a teetotaler. I, in fact, I do have difficulties sometimes um, around Christians who are drinking. I, I don't like, it makes me uncomfortable. But I had to learn that that's a non-essential. I may think it's an unwise choice, but that because they're having a glass of wine with dinner does not mean they're sinners bound for hell, does not mean that their marriage is going to fall apart or they're going to do something great. Now, I'll admit there's, there's a correlation between those things, you know, and drunk drivers and things like that, and I think there's a lot of evil with alcohol. I still don't like it. I still don't, not crazy about being around it, but I've learned in the right circumstances to be okay with it because it's a non-essential that I'm not going to tell any of you that you're, that, you're, that you're out of fellowship with God because you've done so. My preference would be we not. That's okay. You know what? There may be some of you that feel like coffee. I'm as close to addicted to coffee you can be without admitting you're addicted to coffee, okay? Um, but, but I get that. So I'm going to say go through your non-essentials with a view towards liberty and toward love. And then the last thing I want you to do is remove anything to prevent our church from carrying out our mission to the people whom God has sent us. That's what it's all about. 
this, guy, this Jerusalem council did all this arguing and fighting to come up with these things so that they could say to the, to the Gentile Christians in Antioch, you are doing well. Here are the minimum things we want you to do to get along with us here. And then beyond that, you've got freedom. Go forth and do the things God has called you to do. Let's pray.